Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. Before we get started, let's pay some bills and hear from our presenting sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Sama Dahoud. Uh, we also have an incredible guest today, uh, Mo Dakil uh, from Bleacher Report and The Athletic. Uh, so Mo is a former uh, video coordinator for the Los Angeles Clippers, San Antonio Spurs, and the Australian national team. Um, he's now working primarily uh, as an analyst, again, for Bleacher Report and The Athletic. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at all times, breaking down film, posting stuff, uh, incredible, you know, detailed NBA analytics stuff and videos uh, on his Twitter page and his YouTube page. So we talked to him about his journey from a uh, student manager at Santa Monica College to working for the NBA and now, of course, uh, going out on his own. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right in. So first of all, thank you, Mo, for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're got your hands full getting ready for the upcoming NBA season. So thank you for having, uh, sorry, not thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, no. Uh, thank today. you for, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. It's a nice day in LA. I can't, I can't complain too much. And yeah, like you said, it just, we're getting closer to basketball uh, season getting going. Yeah, man. You're in like the epicenter of, uh, the hoop storylines this year with everything going on going on with the Lakers and the uh Clippers and all that. So did you did you grow up in LA? Were you born in LA? Where did you come up? Yeah, no, born and bred from LA. Um I grew up uh, a Laker fan, like a diehard Laker fan. Didn't hate the Clippers, liked the Clippers, but really just cared about the Lakers mostly. Um and you know, I mean this is like in the eighties growing up and just kind of not understanding what I was watching, but watching basketball, um, you know, Showtime Lakers and things like that. And then just then watching every weekend basketball game, right. It wasn't like I went out on the weekends. I was just, you know, the, the NBA on NBC, the, you know, that whole thing was just, that was my weekends and watching games and all of that stuff. So uh, yeah, just grew up a diehard Laker fan. What, what brought you to basketball? Was it parents? Was it just growing up in LA in the eighties and everyone's going crazy about the Showtime Lakers? What made basketball such a big part of your life? Well, it's funny. So it's my parents actually don't like sports at all. So it's actually so ironic how I've ended up this way. Even to them, they just sit there sometimes going like, where did we go wrong? Um, but the uh, ultimate thing was like, I think my sister, my oldest sister got me into it. Um, she was watching a lot and I'd end up watching and listen, a guy named Hamid, like there's a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jubbar playing on a team. Like you're going to cheer for this guy. Like this is this is kind of what you're doing as a kid. Um, so I think that was sort of what brought me into the Laker fold. And then they had this guy, Magic Johnson. Not many people knew about him, but, you know, fun, exciting to watch. So, you know, it, it kind of just drew me in. And from there, I just, just was just a basketball fan at that point. Yeah, I have a very similar experience. I don't know about you, Osama, but my parents are – not so much anti-sports, but just completely ambivalent towards it. They just they didn't quite get it. Um, and my my older siblings, especially my uh, my brother Tarek, he was a big sports fan, and you know that's one of the the main things we connect on these days. Uh, so, did you play basketball growing up as well? Did you play in high school? You know, anything I like mean, that? I played as a kid recreationally. I didn't play uh, in high school. I actually didn't hit my growth spurt until like between my junior and senior year. So like I was really short. So obviously uh, I didn't have the confidence to even go try out for high school basketball or anything like that. So um, I didn't, uh, I didn't play. I just always watched. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I of course made sure to do some research on you before the the pod. So I saw that you got your start kind of in basketball as uh, a team manager uh, when you went to the university of Southern California. So how did you get that gig? I mean, it, it even goes further than that. Uh, the 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 uh, more uh, goes to when I went to junior college at Santa Monica City College um, oh, okay. as a freshman, and like I needed a one unit class to be a full time student, and lo and behold, they have this basketball class, which is just basically play basketball, ta taught by one of the assistant coaches, Trevor Schickman, um, of the basketball team, and he made this announcement of like they needed student managers, 
for the basketball team. And I had this wide gap in my schedule. I had like a four hour gap from like noon to like four, probably closer to like actually five, uh, like a math class that I had to take. Um, So I was like, what am I going to do during this time? A smart person would go to the library, do all their homework and all their work and get it out of the way. No, I go become a student manager and work for the basketball team, you know, and it's basically along those lines. And, you know, from there, it, I got bit by the bug of like, oh, I want to be in basketball. I don't want to just watch it. I want to be in um, from there, transferred to UC Irvine, transferred again from UC Irvine to USC, uh, both times as a student manager in, involved with the team all the way. So. Um, once I got in at Santa Monica College, it was I knew that's where I was going to end up in one way or shape or form going to be in basketball. Um, and, and it all started there. And how did you transition from your role you know, at the college level to I think your, your first professional gig was as a video coordinator with the Clippers, right? Yeah, it was really just luck. Um, and, 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 and I don't want to dismiss hard work and stuff. I worked my butt off as a student manager and doing all the the, the small things and things like that. But um the story that goes behind it is one day we had a guy who uh was graduating it was my junior year he was graduating and and our assistant coaches set up a opportunity for him to go work out with uh in at saint monica's high school in santa monica um it's a a bda bill duffy's agency ran a bunch of like pre-draft workouts and things like that there so they needed somebody to drive him so I just drove him, uh, you know, they uh, just mo well, drive him there. Cool. No problem. I wore the coach's uniform. It's khakis and a polo, you know, a little SC polo to represent, you know, roll in there. Um, a whole bunch of like NBA coaches are in the stands. I mean, you know, guys like Mike Dunleavy, when he was, co- was coaching the Clippers at this point, a whole bunch of guys um, are there. And Neil Olshay is running these workouts for BDA. Um they're short somebody like they need somebody to kind of just play dummy defense or whatever. And Neil's not going to ask Dunleavy, but he's going to ask the one idiot that looks like, you know, doesn't really belong, which was me. And I jump in play dummy defense and, 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 and help out in this workout. As soon as the workout ends, you know, I walk up to Neil going like, Hey man, can I come back? And he just looks at me saying like, Hey, I, I can't pay you. I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to pay me at all. Just tell me I can come back and keep helping. And and he was like, yeah, sure. And that's kind of how I got into the NBA because what people don't understand is so much of this stuff is relationships and things like that. So I got to know Neil O'Shea. I got to know Tim Gergerich. Mike Dunleavy got used to just seeing me around a gym, you know, because he would come in and drop by. He lived in Santa Monica, so he would drop in from time to time, see what was going on in the gym. After the draft, it became a workout center for guys. And, and not like the, the biggest name was Carlos Boozer. You know, this is when Boozer was with the the Jazz and 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 pretty really big name, pretty big name. You know, and then and Jason Capono were like the two guys working out regularly, and Neil had a relationship with Capono, so he'd go work out Capono, and I'd go work out Boozer on the other end of the court. And I got to be very clear when I say I worked out Boozer, he told me everything he wanted to do, and I just made sure I passed the ball to the right spots, and 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 Booze took care of the rest. But that's kind of my introduction to the NBA, and you know, from there. I went back to Santa Monica College my senior year of college to coach. I was an assistant coach while finishing my degree at USC because I was like, I've, I've done everything as a manager at this point. Um, then after that, Neil brought me into the the Clippers as a video room intern, and I just kind of went from there. And so uh, for those that don't know, Mo is very much uh, uh, ingrained in, in analysis. He, you go on his Twitter page, there's a lot of breakdowns of live games in progress. He's on post-game shows uh, with Amin Hassan and Tom Aberstrow. Going back to the video coordinator, I think you also ran, uh, you were the head of video coordinating as well. For anyone obsessed with the game of basketball, it's a really highly valued role. A lot of video coordinators have gone on to become head coaches like Eric Spolstra, Mike Budenholzer. What is the life of a video coordinator like for those that don't know? How are you living and how busy are you? Well, it sucks. I mean, in terms of just a life, like if you think you're going to have a life outside of the video room, you're really not. It's really limited. Um, And it's a hard job because you're in there all the time. There were many times I slept in the office. You know, I literally, one of my drawers was just a pillow 
And like, if I, I wanted to go take a nap, you know, and, and luckily it's, it's been long enough, you know, I would just go into somebody's office that had a couch, you know, set a little alarm and, 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 and take a, you know, whatever, a cat nap, and then back to breaking down video and things like that. It's been a long time since I've been in the video room. So I don't know what the technology changes have been, but I just understand that demands are always there. You know what you're constantly breaking down your own team. You're doing a bunch of self scouts and, and covering your own self, your own team, and you're covering upcoming opponents. You know, there's some teams have them do draft preparation. There's just so many different legs of it in the video room. But the most important thing people need to understand about the video room is it's just a way to get in. It's the mail room of the NBA, right? I'm not a former NBA player. That's pretty obvious, right? I'm not, I'm not the son of a coach or anything like that, you know, or, or any of those things. I didn't play college ball. I was a manager. My only way into the NBA was through the video room. So that's kind of how I had to get in. And I think that's kind of the way I look at it. It's a mail room of the video, uh, uh, in the NBA world. And you just end up, you can't help but learn stuff. You know, you watch basketball differently after having worked in the video room for a few years. Cause you just, it's just ingrained. It's just what you do. And, and what, when you were doing that, um, did you have, you travel with the team, obviously you're breaking down film. Do you have to scout live? Do you have to travel away from the team and scout or is your work specifically with, with the Clippers or the Spurs where, where you were working? Well, it was a nice, like they would give us opportunities. Like with San Antonio, they would send us to Dallas to scout or new Orleans or, or things like that to do a live scout and work on that scouting department the good news when you're with the clippers or the lakers you have a team already in house right so like if there was just a night where i didn't have anything but the lakers are playing somebody we were to request a scouting credential and somebody would go scout that game and it's 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 reps of watching it live and scouting because sometimes that's the next progression is becoming a a a full-time scout on the road um and those guys also by the way unbelievably tough job like they're on the road 25 out of 30 days a month it's a it's a brutal job in that in that sense but you know you we would get those opportunities in the video room it was a nice benefit of being in LA of there being the Lakers you know literally in the same building so hey like I'm gonna go scout the Lakers Kings game because we're playing the Kings in a week or we're playing the Lakers, you know, and we'd, we'd put in a credential request and that would make it easier for our scout. Didn't have to come back to LA to just do that game, you know, and, and kind of give us a baseline. So there were definitely opportunities to go scout in person as well. Um, and just being in, again, you just get different opportunities where you're at. So you've had, you've had the opportunity to work with uh, the Clippers, the Spurs, and I believe with, with the, the Australian national team, are, are there some differences between how, you know, the organizations or teams approach the the videos, the, the film breakdowns, anything, some of the nitty gritty stuff that you can share with us? I mean, for the most part, there's always going to be a different, the way the video room is going to break down games. You know, the, the funny story was, you know, when I was, and there's no right or wrong answer. Everybody just has different preferences for how they want to view tape. Um, when I was in San Antonio, the first, I was in San Clippers for three years, went to San Antonio and, you know, uh, James Brago was the head video guy. And he's like, Mo, can you break down this game for me? This is the first game he asked me to break down. So I broke it down the way I would normally with the Clippers. And we were always kind of, we wanted to keep the file size small with the Clippers. So we would cut out guys dribbling up the court and things like that. So I finished breaking down the game and give it to JV. And then JV looks at me and goes like, why, why, why is this 50 minutes? Like, what, what, what? Like, and I looked at him and like, that's not, that's not how you, that's, you know, this is that. And so then it was like, okay, now I have to learn the preferences from the Spurs. And again, not right or wrong. Everybody does things differently, you know, and you kind of just do those things. And then everybody has different smaller things that they like to do, you know, and, and, and develop stuff. Um, you know, when I was in San Antonio, I learned what a two minute tape was, which is basically breaking down the end of every close game in the NBA um, so that we have it on file down the road. Um we're playing the Lakers. Cool. I have the two minute tape of all their close games from this season that we can watch and just go through and see what they do at the end of games of, of close games. Brought that with me when I went back to the Clippers and that became a thing we did with the Clippers and kept that going, you know, and had a two minute tape always going. It's just, you pick up small things. Everybody does things just a little bit different and some stuff will do different things, but in generally it's ultimately the same thing in the end. You're what you're looking for 
Um, it's just different ways to get to it. Yeah. Were there any unique challenges when working with uh, with the Australian national team? I mean, of course, you're not working with NBA teams. It's national teams, players that are playing all over the world. So, yeah, what are some of the challenges there? I mean, it's it's massively challenging. I mean, the the for starters, I don't have a video room. I'm basically working out of a hotel. I don't have the equipment I'm used to having working for an billion dollar organization, you know, with, with the Clippers and Spurs and all the stuff that comes with it. We didn't have a headquarters. You know, if you want a funny story, like the first week I I, I went and every, and most people who travel internationally tend to forget the power wattage. So I brought this box with me to help me sort of digitize the film so I could break stuff down into my computer. Literally the first day I plug it in, turn it on, forget about the voltage. And I just hear a little explosion and a puff of smoke comes running out of the box. And I'm like, well, there goes the power supply. Um, You know, it's just small things like that. It was almost being a video coordinator while camping um, to a degree. Uh, It was uh, very challenging in in, in a lot of respects. You know, uh, Brett Brown wanting a, a playbook for every player on DVD and he him deciding at the last second, you know, you know, or you, after the last practice, hey, let's send everybody back with a DVD. Well, I don't have the the rig to make five copies at a time. So he's asking for, you know, 20 copies. I got to do that by hand, by DVD, into my computer and back and this and that. Like, that's just not quick, you know, and that's that takes forever, you know. So it's like there's a whole process of it. So it's kind of like figuring it out on the fly. I think it's gotten much better now on the national level. When 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 teams go play in FIBA and things like that, but you know, going to the 2012 Olympics, it was hard. We we're just trying to get a feed into the locker room, you know. And I think that was an important aspect, you know, and and things like that. So we had some challenges there. It was it was pretty interesting. I mean, sometimes it was there was no feed. I had to take a camcorder and literally film the game and then go break it down afterwards. Like it's all sorts of. You know, you just got to be ready for anything when you're doing that. It's it's a it was a massive different world. Yeah, you're like you're really bootstrapping it at that point. Oh, it's um, nuts! I had this big, huge trunk that I had to carry with me too. Like I'll never forget it. I never want to see it again. But it was like <laughs> a, a we call it the boot. Um, but it was just a it was a killer. Like I had to take this trunk with me everywhere I went. I was like, God, this thing's a disaster. And you mentioned Brett Brown. I know he had. Uh, he worked for the Spurs for a long time, and he had some deep connections with the Australian team. Uh, I think he coached professionally in Australia as well. So is that how you made the transition for a brief time? Well, not a brief time. I think you were there for about two, three years, right, with the Australian team. So is that how you made the jump from the NBA to uh, Australia basketball? Yeah, I mean, this coincided. I was with Australia basketball while I was in the oh, NBA because okay, okay. it was in, during the off season. Gotcha. But So what would happen is Brett Brown's assistant coach of the Spurs and he's the head coach of the national team. We have a lot of guys in the NBA now, coaches that are also coaching national teams in the offseason. So there's a lot of that going on. And, and you know, uh, I mean, Greg Popovich just did it for the Team USA. But, like, you know, Brett Brown was one of, you know, I think one of the first ones to really kind of have the side gig of that. So it's funny. In San Antonio, I get assigned to Brett as his video coordinator. Each video coordinator is assigned an assistant coach. So I get assigned to Brett my first year. And, you know, on the side, Brett's having me do projects for Team Australia and he's paying me out for it, you know, cash and things like that. And then our season ended and he just calls me into his office and says, hey, so I think you fly into Australia this day and we have the world championships in Turkey. So you're going to have to fly out of Turkey back home around this day. I cleared it with Pop and RC. They really want you to do it. Um, so, hey, do you want to come to Australia? And I was just like, sure. Like, you know, like what else am I going to do? And that became my thing, you know, for, for three years would finish the NBA season, maybe get a week off, then hop on a plane, fly to Australia for three months or wherever else we ended up, come back. Maybe if I was lucky, have a few days before training camp and then right into training camp. So for three years, I basically went around the clock and just was, was, was going completely nuts. That's that. That's the grind, man. That that sounds. That sounds like a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of fun, but it, it exhausted me to no end. I think you know that's part of the the burnout I experienced towards the end of my run as a video coordinator. Was was there was just never a chance to recharge my batteries. Yeah, and you were you were with the Clippers, I think, two separate times. And I think in your last stint, it was during the Lob City, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era. 
which is a really memorable era in, in NBA history and recent NBA history for sure. Are there any stories that you can share from that time? Any super memorable moments from your, uh, your time there? It was just a ton of fun. I just remember, you know, um, I get there right as the lockout ends 2011 um, and, and Vinny Del Negro hires me onto his staff. I knew pretty much everybody else was still there from when I left, you know, and stuff. So I kind of knew a lot of the, the faces. It was just a new coaching staff. Um, and it was interesting. Then a few weeks later, we get Chauncey Billups off the amnesty waiver, you know, and then all of a sudden the Chris Paul trade happened, you know, first we're not getting Chris Paul, then we're getting Chris Paul and just everybody kind of being excited. And I just remember our expectations going from like, Hey, like we might be an eight seed this year with this young group of guys. So all of a sudden like we're contenders and it's like, Whoa, this is wild. Um, and you know, I, it, it was unbelievable. Our first two games were on the road. We played Christmas at uh, played Christmas Day game in Golden State, and then two days later in San Antonio. So they, as I was still an assistant, I wasn't the head video guy. They took me on those two trips to go and 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 help out with that, with that trip. And so you know, just kind of building off that. I mean, it was it's probably one of the more fascinating teams in the sense of probably should have won a championship during their era. I would have preferred it yeah. being while I was there. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, but like it's it's one of those teams that just they had the talent just would never get there for one reason or another. And it's just really kind of a, a fascinating mm-hmm. squad. Yeah, it's a fascinating like study in NBA history. on, uh, like you said, talent, having the talent, having the coaching, everything in place. But for whatever reason, it just it shows you how hard it is to to win a championship and all the ingredients needed. It's not as simple as just having the talent to do it. Yeah, I don't think people realize in the NBA to make it to the to, to the finals or, or win a championship. I mean, I was on a San Antonio team that we were number we were the number one seed, and we lose to Memphis in the eighth seed because it was just a terrible matchup. Just Manu Ginobili ultimately broke his elbow two games before the season ended misses game one, then comes back for, for game two, but we lose game one already. So now we've lost home court advantage. You're in a challenging spot at that point, And then it's a tough matchup. So, you know, it's so challenging just to win a championship, you know? So it's like when people want to dismiss a championship and I don't care what sport it is, I hate it because it's not understanding of just how hard it is to get there. And when somebody wants to say, Oh, it's luck. I'm like every championship ever won was luck. There was an element of luck in all of these things because we've seen it. You slip on a wet spot and your 73 win season doesn't mean much, right? Yep. It's, it's the smallest things can change it. So it's everything. Oh, I'm sorry. Sam, Sam just, <laughs> yeah, that one Sam, hurts. Sam got hurt when I said that one. <laughs> um, yeah, no, old scars. It's okay. I think it resulted in, uh, you know, getting KD. So not a very, like you said, uh, even the sweat spot was was luck, dumb luck. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, burnout, super un- relatable thing to do when you're in a role for so long that's so, so busy. You spent some time away from basketball in, in corporate America. I remember reading Pat Riley said somewhere you should reinvent yourself every five to 10 years. What kind of drove that change or that pivot away from the game? So. Doc let me go at the end of 2014 season after his first season, um, which wasn't a surprise. I didn't have a good year. If you want, if, if, if we looked at it, if I was a free agent, this I was heading into a contract year. I did everything wrong you possibly could do in that instance for a variety of reasons. I just didn't have a good year, a lot of different things. Um, so Doc let me go. I was already burnt out. I was already thinking of leaving. I was already thinking like, I'm done. I need to go find something else. Um, I don't want to be a 45 year old video coordinator type stuff and, and things like that. So I was trying to find something and I just stumbled into tech recruiting, you know, and, and, you know, let me give corporate America a try. Let me figure out um, for a lack of a better term, being a civilian, being a normal person with a normal nine to five, like the funniest things were when I wasn't working in sports, you know, like I'm calling a friend of mine going like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do with my time? Like what I've always been breaking down games or watching something or other or on a court. And he's just like, all right, go do laundry. 
And then we'll, we'll call you later. We'll figure out plans for tonight. I'm like, okay, cool. I finished my laundry. I call him up. I'm like, all right, laundry's done. What's next? Like, what do I do? It's just, I didn't know how to chill and relax. So I think kind of having to go through that vibe of running through, you know, corporate America a little bit uh, helped in the sense of giving me an understanding of just like how to be normal again. You know, it's uh, what people don't understand about the, the NBA and working in sports. It's a whole different world. Holidays don't matter if we have a game that day or I have to prepare for the next game. There was a Christmas. I mean, I'm Muslim. I don't care about Christmas, but there's a Christmas day game. I broke down all five games so that the other video guys could go hang out with their families because it didn't matter to me. Right. But like, you know, it doesn't the holidays itself don't matter. New Year's Eve. I rarely got to celebrate because I had a game either that night or the next morning and I had to be ready the next morning. So it's not like. You know, I just got burnt out. So now being normal corporate America, Mo, um, you know, was a good opportunity to just kind of figure that out. And, you know, like Riley said, kind of reinvent myself a little bit. And it's 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 interesting because I wanted nothing to do with basketball. Wasn't going to watch games, you know, would keep eye here and there. Friends would call me every now and then with stuff but and would check a game here and there. But I wasn't as invested. And then I realized eventually I just got pulled right back in. And all of a sudden I was like, all right, I miss this. And that's how I knew I, I needed to come back in one way or another. That's really fascinating. I think that was Steve Nash that said recently, right? He's like, I haven't touched a Before he started coaching, he's like, I haven't touched a basketball. And he said some ludicrous amount of time, I think, after he had retired. Um do you miss working on a coaching staff after all that time? I see you, you, you do your post-game breakdowns on Twitch. You're, you very much are involved in the game as an analyst. Looking back, and you, it seems like you're having a ton of fun now. Do you miss working for a team, breaking down film, traveling, all, all that? I do and I don't. Like, I miss being around the guys, the camaraderie you have, locker room all the way to sharing team flights you know uh a meal here and there you know it, it was it was cool like on the road like alvin gentry would always take me out to dinner um you know a running joke we had in in san antonio was ask bud what he wanted for lunch because he would buy everybody lunch um you know when i was there it's just like the, you just you had this, a camaraderie of stuff you know even with team australia brett brown made a point to take the whole staff out to dinner you know, we would we would be in some places in like China and, and you know, France and, and, and Spain and things like that. And he would just make a point to find a, a one night where we're all just no work. We're all just going dinner and, 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 and hanging out and just kind of the coaching staff and stuff like that. I miss a lot of that stuff. The the I don't miss the grind. Right. The grind of traveling and i don't care that it's private i don't care that we're staying in five-star hotels that i could never in my life afford again um it's exhausting i was in some cities for maybe a total of 18 hours you know uh set you know the the second night of a back-to-back it's it's a blur you know and you're 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 literally there was one trip we played in chicago and then we went from chicago immediately to charlotte to play the second night of a back-to-back in charlotte um and it's like, I don't remember much, you know, from that, you know, and I just remember like finishing the game, putting it on everybody's computers. And then somebody was like, Hey, we're going over here. So like, guys, I'm just going to grab some food and pass the hell out, you know? And, 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 and then you're, you're on to the next thing. So it's, I don't miss the grind of it. I do miss the conversations. I miss the X's and O's part, you know, and I text some of my, coaching buddies who never text back but like i drive them nuts with like well what were you guys thinking here like what was this you know or who messed up here like i I love that stuff and learning that stuff but um so i miss it and 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 don't at the same time i feel like i'm living a little bit healthier lifestyle now than i was when i when i was working in the nba yeah i don't think the human body is is designed to travel through time zones and stuff like that at the rate that we do I'm amazed pop still does it at the age. He does. Like I could, I mean, it's, it takes a different person and it also takes the ability to having a family life that can, that can sustain it. You know, a lot of these coaches are married and things like that. And a lot of these, these coaches wives are, are basically raising kids on their own for almost nine months. You know, it, it takes a lot and, and puts a lot of strain on a lot of people. So it's, it's hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that we hear a lot of the same things from retired athletes. They say a lot of the same things, you know, oh, I don't miss training camp. I don't miss practices. I don't miss traveling and, you know, the the back to backs and the grind, the, that exact word that you use. But they do miss the camaraderie, the locker room, you know, the just hanging out with the guys, whoever, whoever it is. So, yeah, I could definitely see the parallels. I mean, you're kind of like a retired athlete at this point, right? You've moved on to from let's just stop and, right there yeah. i'm a retired athlete that's it let's just yeah. stop there i'll take that delineation all the time there you uh, go you've moved <laughs> into the next phase of your your life you're analyzing and breaking down film and you know making what what i really like about your content is that you make basketball and very like high level concepts in basketball like easily digestible to the the common folks that haven't spent time in a locker room or in a film room or around NBA guys, you just make it very easy to understand. I, I That's my goal, really, is for somebody to be able to watch a video of mine and be able to see it in the next game they watch and go, oh, I saw that. I recognize that because I saw it on a on a video. Um, basketball is complicated and not complicated at the same time, you know, and there's there there's it is hard to do it and there's a lot of people that do a great job of breaking stuff down and 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 kind of explaining things but i think it's i think sometimes we've gotten away from that in 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 a large part in in nba coverage in the mainstream media and i think that's something that obviously i have reasons for it to will, will become more mainstream on, yeah, on you're, on, you're on, speaking on, my language here for on sure. my <laughs> end but i just feel like we've kind of gotten away from covering the game as much as we used to. I, I read something a while back, you know, David Stern, his advice to Adam Silver, I think at one time was just always return to the game. You having a problem, just return to the game. The games are what matters. And I think we've, we've gotten away from it to the point where people, and, and, and I don't know how to get back to it, but I think we've just gotten away from that. And we just love the drama because let's just yeah. be honest, guys. The NBA drama is insane. The past month has been absolutely absurd in that market. Like there's no, there's no denying it, you know? Um, but like, I think we, we, we tend to forget about the game. And I think that means we don't necessarily value the greatness that we're seeing on the court. And, and, and I just want to try to bring us, I don't want to take away from the drama because that's fun as hell. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But like, I also want to put the light on like, yeah, but let's also watch this. I think we could have both. And I think the problem is we're we're leaning too far on one side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sam and I have had many conversations over text, phone calls, whatever, just, you know, annoyed at the some of the coverage that comes out and the, the lack of focus on the basketball, just like you said, uh, that it, it should all be all about the games. And I think uh, the, the NBA can maybe take a leaf out of the NFL's book in kind of like lionizing these players and, and making them making it seem like it's bigger than it is. I think the NFL does a great job of that, of making it seem like, no, this isn't just a week five game between the Lions and the Bears. Like this is the biggest game of the week. This is the this is the biggest event. This is the best thing you'll see on TV all week. And I think some of the NBA coverage by focusing on the drama maybe diminishes the quality of the regular season games. I and mean, we can talk about load management and all that stuff too, but uh, I think that's a different conversation. I think the coverage itself can definitely be improved by again focusing on on the basketball itself. Yeah, I mean no no denying it. Obviously the NFL has a different um they have a couple different advantages, right? They have an entire day dedicated to it. Yeah. Right? And just Sunday and it's easy and then you have a whole week to kind of digest all the games from there and things like that. So it's a whole different beat to it, especially the you know the start stop of every play. Right. Makes it so easy that they can just, hey, we're going to replay every play. You see every play ran three times. Right. Like you almost, you know, so it's it gets they kind of have that advantage in just the flow of the game. But it doesn't mean the NBA can't do that. And and I think we've just gotten away from it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I This is like my pet peeve probably is when the content is away from the game. Like you there was a. Paul Pierce was on TV and who rather hilariously is not on television anymore and uh, said, what is that uh, M magic and, and who Raptors? I'm not watching that trash. That's a trash series. You'll never see an analyst on NFL network say, don't watch Titans Jags. They'll tell you the offensive line play. You have to see this. This is going to be a great game. Even if it's a stinker though, it's always about the product. 
yeah, you got to sell the product. That's the ultimate thing there. And I think that's what, what, what makes it a thing. And I also wish the NBA would put different teams on national TV on a regular basis. Um, and, and part of that is the networks get to pick who they want and, and all of that, but we don't need 30 games of the Lakers on national TV. You don't, you, you know, I want to see more of Memphis. I want to see more new Orleans. I want to see more of, uh, Dallas, and we're going to get a ton of Dallas, but you know, Atlanta, whatever, like so many other teams, especially some of these young teams, you know, like I think we, they need to diversify who gets the national spotlight coverage a little bit more. And I think that's kind of an important thing there, but you know, until Adam Silver calls me, it's just me screaming to the clouds. <laughs> he should call you. Um, I, I, I want to get your, let's get a little bit nerdy. We're going to descend into nerd or she wrote, if you will. Yes. Is, um, from your perspective, what, what direction is basketball going in? Mm. Like the three-point shot has been a thing, but what, what trends are you seeing and, and what would you like to see in terms of uh, execution or philosophy? Yeah, I think basketball is going into really a golden age. I think one, just look at the young talent we have in the NBA. Forget about the upcoming draft, which is going to be absurd, which is going to cause, which is going to make for part of this season unwatchable, you know, with some of the tanking we're going to have. I know what we just talked about, and I literally just did exactly that. But like, it's going to be tough with some of the, some teams are going to tank because it's Webb and Miyama, Scoot Henderson, and, and, and the Twins and all of that. Like, there's so many guys. But in general, just, the young wealth of talent we have across the NBA is impressive. You know, almost every team has a guy I want to watch. And that's something that wasn't always the case. You know, there's, there's a young guy on each team or, or somebody you're excited for pretty much everywhere. And I think that's kind of the, the positive thing. I think we're really he heading into an amazing era of basketball where there's just going to be so much amazing talent all over the place in terms of philosophy and what I want to see more. I, I, I've had this idea and, and, and I'm hoping to get to maybe write about it down the road, but like, I feel like a there is an opportunity for teams to press more often, to press full court more often and, and take advantage of that. I feel like that's an area that that's an advantage. It's not taken uh, advantage of enough. And I think there are certain teams that can really make a lot of money off of it. You got to be more opportunistic with how you, when you do it, because you can't do it for a full 48 minute game can't do it for 82 games you're going to wear out your guys but i think there's an area where i i'd like to see some more of that stuff i think defenses are going to have to rethink how they attack the pick and roll defensively i think we've gotten uh too many teams have gotten switch heavy when it doesn't make sense to switch it's just this is the fad to do i was watching portland the other night in a preseason game i was ranting about it on the the, the good old twitter.com um about you know they're switching and they're putting a small they're putting Anthony Simons on like Zubach, and I'm like that ain't gonna work. You can't do that. You can't switch Simons onto a big. This doesn't make sense. Um, but I think teams are gonna have to rethink how they handle the pick and roll because point guards have gotten so good at manipulating it and finding the open guy and knowing where the help's coming from. I think we have to kind of shifted a little bit and and i'm excited i don't know what the answer is because believe me if i did i'd be coaching and be making a ton of money um but i think the somebody's got to start kind of getting more creative with it and i think those are kind of the stuff i'm watching for this season i don't know necessarily we're going to get it but i think those are the things i'm kind of waiting for that to start to happen um super helpful i i, I agree completely i think we saw some of it who was it that got everyone's attention? It was Herb Jones or or Jose Alvarado. Uh, Jose Alvarado like, pressing CP. Yeah. But I'm even talking more just full court press. Let's pressure the ball. Let's get them to cough it up and 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 and, and cause a turnover and things like that. I think you're going to see a team like Toronto do it a lot because they got they're all wings. Toronto's entire team is just wings and Fred Van Vliet. Like their whole team is which not knocking it, <laughs> not knocking it. I don't need Toronto fans coming at me. It's just like that. That's a team I look at going like this team should just press more often than not. Um, and 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 really kind of like they got enough guys to to really hound teams. But yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how uh how how these kind of things get uh how it evolves. And in, in terms of Khaled mentioned analytics earlier, 
three point shots been kind of a kind of an obsession. But what what gets Muhammad Dakhir like really excited? Is it, you're like that's my stat. That's the one that that keeps me up and breaking down films. Like this guy's got uh, effective field goal percentage. Like what is it that that you, that you appreciate the most? It'll it'll surprise you. It's never numbers based. It's not numbers based. It's stuff I see on film. You know, like I get excited with like some of the most useless looking passes. Like I love them. Some of these passes I see, I'm like, oh my God, what an amazing pass. And it doesn't matter if nothing came of it. I'm like, that's unbelievable. I can't wait to see that again. That's kind of what I'm looking for and watching for. Um, you, you, you know, numbers help to back it up for me. Numbers help. And, and it's, there's this whole war of like eye test versus numbers. It's the dumbest thing in the world because you need both. I worked in the video room. <laughs> I needed both. I needed the numbers to back up what I was show- what I was to see what I was watching. And sometimes I would see something and go to the numbers to make sure I I wasn't going crazy. And there's it's it, they work hand in hand in that stuff. But I think for me, you know, I'm not as numbers based as people seem to think. I'm more I'm more film driven because that was my background. And I think you know it's it's watching that stuff. It's watching how teams kind of evolve throughout the season. Like my favorite thing last year from the Suns was watching their Spain pick and roll and the 55 different ways they would get into it. You know, it would be like, all right, we're going to run Devin Booker off an Iverson cut. And then we're going to go into the Spain pick and roll. And then we're going to do this to get this switch. And that it, it's, it's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, okay, yes, that's my drug. Like, give it to me, put it right in my veins. Let's go. Um, you know, that's the, that's the stuff. Uh, if you, if you want, I'll tell you something. Anytime you see a guy in transition, make a diagonal pass and it goes from one side of the court to the other side of the court and flips the defense, just know somewhere I'm smiling. That's just a guarantee. You know, like I saw Ben Simmons do it yesterday. Find the clip, send the tweet. I'm happy. That's it. You know? So it's like, those are the things I really kind of enjoy. And, and you mentioned that there's uh, a player on just about every team in the NBA that you're excited to watch. And I, th- I completely agree. I mean, the level of talent that we have across the league is is possibly unprecedented, especially with the international guys and everyone else coming in. So who are some of some players or teams perhaps outside the mainstream, you know, the Warriors, Lakers, Dallas, whoever it may be, who are some teams maybe flying under the radar or some guys flying under the radar that you're most excited to watch this year? I mean, a team that I don't think is going to do much in terms of wins this year, but I'm really excited to watch is Orlando. I, I can't wait to watch Paulo bon- Paulo Banquero and Franz Wagner play together. I think that's going to be a great pairing. I think that's going to be a lot of fun right there with those two playing off of each other and things like that. I think Paulo is a better passer than he gets credit for, um, you know, and a better playmaker. I don't watch college basketball. I, I can't stand it. If you want the honest truth, that's a whole other it, podcast. It's a tough watch. <laughs> it's, 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 it's terrible. But, Sam so was like, right there with you. <laughs> so, so like I don't catch, so draft is always hard. Cause I'm like scrambling coming up to the draft. And this year was particularly hard. Cause I got COVID a week before the draft. So like when I did the athletic draft show, I did it while I had COVID. Um, but like, so my prep was kind of thrown off, but like watching him in summer league, I was like, this dude can pass. I'm excited for that right there with with just orlando i'm excited for the young kids in new york the rj barrett's uh quentin grimes obi toppin's been unbelievable the preseason all that stuff it's new york so everybody they're going to get a lot of pub in that stuff i'm i'm excited for them and i'm excited for new orleans just that team as a whole i mean we all are let's be honest zion right like we all just want to watch zion um and 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 see how that goes but i think that team has a chance to be pretty good um you know, so in general, apart from like the mainstream stuff and the mainstream storylines that we all want to keep an eye on, those are just a few of them. But like Detroit, another team, I can't wait to watch more of Cade Cunningham, and I'm looking forward to watching Jaden Ivy. I think those are guys that I want to see and 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 see how they develop and, and and progress further into their careers and things like that. So, I'm I'm pretty much fired up about every team. There's a couple. There's a couple that I'm like, eh. Hey. Yeah, okay. you might skip this one. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to watch because I got to watch, but also like, eh. <laughs> I know we know what they're trying to do. So it's like, all right, we're good. Yeah, we see Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. 
<laughs> I mean, it's not. Just, I mean, unfortunately, there's like four or five of them this year, so it's going to be a tough, uh, a tough run there. Yeah, and any night you see uh, Utah versus San Antonio, you can probably skip that one. Uh, Good to <laughs> race to the bottom there. No, but even no. those, I mean, I don't know about Utah, but at least uh, San Antonio's got Keldon Johnson. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited personally. I'm excited to see Houston to see how that works out uh, with Jalen Smith. Another and, fun team. Yeah, you know the, the other team that I completely forgot. I'm excited for Sacramento. I've never said that before in my life. I mean, partly because I was a Laker fan, so I hated them. Um, but like, I'm excited to see Keegan Murray. I want to see what the Fox Sabonis thing looks like. I want to see if they can actually challenge, you know, the other teams in the West to actually get into the playing tournament. You know, I don't think they're going to be much more than that, but I'm excited to see that. Like, again, there's just every team, I shouldn't say every team, but more teams than normal. We have something to watch for, even some of the bad teams which is not what the case has always been, right? Orlando drafted Jalen Suggs last year. We were cool. We didn't really need to watch Orlando. Like, it's along those lines of, like, you know, you watch it because it's interesting and they were frisky. Cole Anthony was doing some fun stuff there. But now it's like, okay, there's stuff to watch here. And I think that's something, like, with a lot of these teams we're not used to. We're like, hey, some of these small market teams are pretty exciting. Yeah, as a Sacramento resident, I'm very happy to hear that. So (laughs) There you go. Bring back the cowbells. Let's do it. <laughs> Not enough cowbells. What what's it like to you know, given the game you watch the game so closely? What's it like watching basketball with you? Are you emotional, quiet? Like what what's the experience like with with someone who's so obsessed with the game? So it's different, right? So like when I was working for the Clippers and I wasn't on the road and I watched the team at you know at home or whatever, like people would hear yelling coming from the TV from from my room. Right. Like I'd be screaming. I'd be like, no, you're supposed to cut this way. You know, like whatever. Dumb stuff like that. Now it's a lot more just quiet. Every now and then I might be like, I might see a dunk and go like, oh, my God, or something. You know, you know, like only my dog really hears it and he doesn't care. He sleeps all the time. Um, But like there'll be reactions to that stuff. But for the most part, I'm probably annoying to watch with. I actually don't like watching with people when it's a game I need to lock in on because I want to rewind. I want to pause. I want to. How this dude get open? Let me rewind it, and I have to see it again. Okay, let me rewind it again. Like we might be behind the action a little bit. We might be um, playing catch up with some of that stuff. So it's a. Uh, I have friends that are like playoffs. Let's all get together and watch. And I'm like, yeah, y'all have fun. I got to I'm in the office. Like I'm not watching with anybody. Um, because there's a lot of different. It's a different matter of focus with it. Um, the only time I'm ever really passionate, it's not basketball. It's USC football. Like that's it. Like then I'm at, then I'm a fanatic there. I'm a, a nutso fan with unreasonable expectations. When I watch NBA basketball, I'm watching now as it's work, you know, and, 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 and just kind of sitting and chilling for the most part. That's a, it's a good time to be a USC football fan. for sure. We're just starting. We're just starting, baby. I can't wait. I don't even care if we lose this weekend. I care a little bit, but like, even if we lose, we're just, we're, we're playing with house money, baby. I'm just ready. I'm looking at two or three years from now. It's the Riley revolution. Let's go, baby. (laughs) Everyone's kind of got like a guy that they, they pick. Like I was really high on Jordan Hill because I wanted the Warriors to draft the big. It was always kind of something they missed on. I mean, they got Steph and pretty obviously that worked out. Uh, I I was rooting for Jordan Hill though. He was my guy. Who was the player you advocated for more than others? Who was Mo Dekhiel's guy? (sighs) There are so many I've gotten wrong. Um, when you do this enough, you're going to get them way more wrong than right. You know, and this is, I mean, just think about the number of teams that have drafted guys. It's, you know, and a lot of guys that we call busts, right? Like if teams get it wrong and they have the most information, we're going to get it wrong way more. Um, one guy, it's, it's actually a warrior. I was all in when the warriors got Jordan bell. Right. Right. And it 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 seemed like a great fit. No, like I'm like, what are you doing, Chicago? Why are you trading him? You know, for cash, just like you, you're giving the Warriors their next guy and and things like that, and that didn't pan out. Um, there was so many. I mean, I was, I, I think, like everybody else, I was in on Ben Simmons, was all on all oh, generational talent. Now I'm obviously in a different boat with. I still think he's really good, and is underrated at this point. But in general, I thought really another level of a guy um you know there's so many i've gotten wrong i probably have forgotten 
you know, because you, you try to forget the ones you screw up on and, and just want to point out your wins. But there's just, I mean, there's there's just a lot of guys who I was, you know, convinced this guy is going to be great. And then they turn out not to be. It's just, it's again, and it goes to this. It's so damn hard in the NBA. You know, and like you think about it this way, these are the 450 best players in the NBA. Might not be the best basketball players. There are unbelievable talents that just don't make it to the NBA for whatever reason, a million reasons, um, you know, but these guys kind of made it through the filter of everything and, and, and found their way there. You know, you're going to be wrong sometimes with these guys and, and, and who you're predicting Jordan Hills, a, a, a fun one there for you, Osama, but you know, it's, 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 you just have so many guys you look at and you're like, okay, cool. And then there are guys who I was like, eh, and they turn out to be superstars and you're like, wow, this is nuts. The one thing I'm proud of is I never jumped on the Lonzo Ball hype when he became a Laker. And and I want to say it's because I'm a genius. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that he played for that school across town um, is was was the main thing. But also, like, I just didn't I there were things I didn't think would translate right away. He's become a hell of a player and and that stuff. But like, you know, in L.A., it was like this kid's going to be a Hall of Famer, all-time Laker type guy. This guy's going to change the way the game is played, all of that. And it's not kind of – it's just not who he is. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of that stuff. So sometimes I try to just be a little bit more careful. I'm much more careful now with the term generational talent. We threw that around too much. We threw that around every draft, which means, like, that's not how generational talent works. The word definition is one in a generation. We can't have one every draft. Um, and then your my Arab side's coming out as I'm throwing the hand motions and all of that. Um <laughs> You know, and and unicorn. Like I try to stay away from all of these terms. Now, of course, I see Webemyama, and I'm like, eh, kind of generational. Um, I think he qualifies. Yeah, he, he, right now we'll see. But like right now, he probably does. But the, you know, you're watching these guys, and you just kind of pay attention to it. I try to stay away from the terms, but I've gotten many wrong. I just can't remember them at the moment. So you, you mentioned being proud about the uh, Lonzo or avoiding the Lonzo hype. What are you proudest of in general with the work that you've done, the things that you've done covering the NBA, working the NBA? To be honest with all of it, from making it to the NBA and even the, the stuff I get to do now, I've done it from the ground up. There weren't shortcuts. There were not shortcuts at all. You know, um, I started as a manager. I had no idea how to get into the sport of basketball. Um, worked my butt off in college to 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 get to where I was and got an opportunity. And you know, sometimes part of being lucky is is you put in the preparation to get there, and then you know something bounces your way. On the media side, like I thought, hey, I thought video coordinator, I should be able to get a job at ESPN day one like literally not knowing how the industry works or anything like that and had to go build my own website, start my own podcast. And listen, you go look at the website. It's all poorly written. Cause I still don't believe in proofreading. I have very big issues with me trying to read my own stuff. Um, and, and things like that. My podcast, the first few, when I started were terrible and just kind of slowly learning how to do all this stuff. I built all of this from the ground up. I'm not even anywhere near where I want to be. You know, I, I still feel like I'm I'm in the early part, but getting the opportunities I've gotten, it's it's because I didn't skip steps. I worked my my tail off. That's what I'm most proud of is that I built this. At the end of the day, you know, whatever, however, wherever I end up, I just know that hey, I said this is where I want to be, and I just put my head down and got there somehow. Um, and and you know, it's. You're going to hear a thousand no's. All you need is one yes. All the cliches we want with that stuff. But like I had to battle for it and 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 really fight for things. So I think that's kind of what I'm most proud of is just no shortcuts. Just yeah. I just did it. And that that's a theme that I've noticed from some of the folks that we've we've interviewed most recently. Um, ESPN anchor Arda Okal. Uh, he talked about how he just he kept working, kept grinding, and he had he got an opportunity because something happened to work out um and i think it's you we we can use the word luck but it's luck is when opportunity meets preparation and you're obviously prepared you did the work put your head down you grinded and then you got the opportunity and you were able to seize on it and 
you know, it's it's really exciting to, to, to be able to say that I worked for this and I built this. So that's a very yeah. impressive thing. And just one thing for people, too, is like there's going to be setbacks. I have setbacks all the time. You know, it's 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 how you deal with that in, in, in that environment and things like that. And it's it's not easy, though. It's frustrating. There are definitely days I'm pissed and 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 trying to figure out stuff or or, or why isn't this popping the way I thought it would or or things like that. So, you know, it's it's you, there's a level of patience with it, too, that comes with it. But, you know, again, like I remember my Twitter following being just 40 followers and just friends, you know, and then one person, you know, gives me an endorsement and then realizing like, oh, wow, these matter. And like. I went to a hundred. I remember when it got to a thousand, you know, and the, the slow build up to it, it, it never goes on your timeline. And that's, that's the one most important thing you got to learn is it doesn't go on your timeline. It goes yeah, on a absolutely. different timeline than what you, than what you planned. Yeah. So what are you uh, working on? Are you cooking up, cooking up anything special for the uh, upcoming season? Um, I probably am going to start having some videos start coming out. Um, I've been slow to kind of ramp up even in the preseason a little bit. Um, probably because my obsession of USC football and now that we're good has taken me, taken my eyes elsewhere, but, um, I'm going to keep mentioning them. You guys are lucky. I didn't wear a USC shirt on my, into the, the zoom. Um, I think the, just look out for podcast at the athletic, um, the athletic NBA show. I'm on the basket buds and nerd she wrote as well as daily ding a couple of times. Um, just stay locked into my Twitter feed because everything pops up there. I'm probably going to put more videos on YouTube this year. I think it's going to be a goal. A little longer form videos will end up on YouTube um, once I kind of figure all that stuff out. But uh, yeah, that's kind of just the the thing. I don't have any one thing planned right now. I just I just know that basketball content is coming. Yeah, and you can find Mo on Twitter at it's uh, Mo Dehill NBA, right? Underscore NBA, and Underscore. that's the same on instagram and and i'm actually on tiktok and i don't know what i'm doing i just watch animal videos on tiktok <laughs> um but like I i'm on you have TikTok. to be like under 25 to really understand TikTok. i'm trying to pull them in though i'm trying to pull <laughs> the 25 year olds in um so i think that's kind of the uh the yeah that's where you find me with all that stuff cool man so but before we let you go uh sam always asks his food questions we always gotta this is a sports history podcast or sports pod but we always have to ask, you know, we're also foodies. So we got to ask you some food questions. Go for it. Yeah. So usually I'll ask people when they're hungry, specifically what they want, but we're all Arab here. So when it comes to when you're hungry and you want tabiq al-mama, like what do you, what do you, what's your go-to? Um, there's a, a, a Libyan dish called mbakbaka. And oh. I don't, I don't know if people, it's, it's funny because, Libyans, I love, I love us. We're the simplest people ever. It got its name because you know it's ready when the bubbles start popping in the in the the stew. But it's a it's a basically Libyan pasta with lamb, like stewed lamb meat, uh, it, with a tomato base. If it, there's a uh, Anthony Bourdain episode where he went to Libya after the revolution and they made him in Bukbuka. they told him the story of the name and everything. My father makes it all the time, so that's kind of like. You know, if he's saying he's making in bukbuka, I'm like, okay, fine. And I'm trying to diet now. So, like, I'm trying to eat salads regularly and things like that. So, like, he's the man that can throw off my diet all the time. So, it's like, damn it, I don't want you to do this, um, but I want it. And I think that's kind of the challenge with it. But he's – that's the dish. Yeah, I think Lib Libyan food in general is highly underrated. And I grew up going to a lot of, like, Libyan family picnics. And yeah. they would just bring – like a hundred gallon steel pot and they're making a bucket right there for everybody. So that's, uh, I mean, you, you know, it too. I mean, you've been to enough picnic, like Livian couscousy is different. I mean, couscousy is different from everybody's every region's different in how they do it and prep it and things. Livian, you know, my dad does that too. It's massive, like family gathering when he decides to do it. Um, Libyans, the, the Libyan cuisine is not quite the same as regular Arab cuisine. It doesn't, I mean, I think it's different in the sense of like, it's not so much kebab and things like that and, and, and all that. It's it's really pasta based and it's pretty interesting in, in, in a lot of that. And I think that has to do with the uh, Italians colonizing us for a while. Yeah, that's uh, probably the only good thing that came out of that. <laughs> 
but yeah, super different. It's like you said, it's uh, it's got that North African influence from you know Morocco and Algeria, and then of course the Italian influence on the pasta and everything. It's highly underrated. So. Very much so. Delicious. What's your other foodie Delicious. questions you got? Let's go. Let's do a foodie podcast. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in LA. Um, what, well, you know what? Sorry, I crap. I have to jump. I'm a, I'm in tech. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, no. But Mo, Mohammed, really great to meet you, brother. Congratulations on all your success. This was uh, a pleasure for me. I haven't followed you for so many years. So um, th- thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, and more luck to you in the future. No, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. I'm always happy to pop on. Thanks, man. Really appreciate your time. All right, guys. Thank you, brother. See you guys. Once again, sh- big shout out and big thank you to Mo DeFeel from Bleacher Report and The Athletic for uh, joining us today to talk about his journey again from uh, being a team manager at San Monica College to working in the NBA as a video coordinator and now going out on his own as an analyst and media member um, make sure to follow mo at mo to feel underscore nba on twitter uh, you can find all his stuff there as well as on instagram tiktok and youtube you can find us at facebook uh, or on facebook at the 4040 vision podcast and on instagram and twitter at 4040 vision pod uh, make sure to follow like and subscribe uh, to our podcast on spotify apple podcast overcast etc etc if you can leave us a review that would be much appreciated so once again yeah thank you for your time really appreciate you guys joining us and take care we'll see you next time